attention to the fact that you wanted to know these friends we're always talking about. And I can understand why you would want to do that because they are significant men and women in the kingdom of God. God has so blessed us with friends. I, I don't know about you, but I, I look across this congregation and think how blessed I am just to be allowed to be a part of you. It's, it's an amazing thing when, when you understand the church as the family of God working together to establish the kingdom throughout the earth. It, it lifts it above the local and you begin to look at it and realize that, yes, we're most of us going to be here local, but, but through our friendships and through our giving, we're affecting things, now hear me, literally all over the earth. It's amazing. It's just simply amazing. Uh, I would go through again all the places, but I would miss some of them, so I'll let it go. But it's growing rapidly, expanding rapidly, but not just here in the United States. It's worldwide. That people that have been a part of uh, nominal church things have become hungry for something that is more relational, something that's not just that a teacher does something more than just give out information, that they engage, that, that a pastor does something more than just uh, get ooey-gooey feelings about the people in the congregation, but they engage, and that, that things are not done except through relationship. And it's an amazing thing because it puts it not only throughout the earth, but throughout the generations. Uh, I was thinking when Chelsea was talking about Jeremy coming, I, I really wish I was going to be here. I'd love to hear this guy really turn loose when, when, when God is on him. And I know that since he's going to be talking about the prophetic, that he's going to be turning loose next Sunday. But I was thinking when she was introducing him, it means a whole lot more to her because she knew she's known him since he was four years old. And she took care of him back in those years. So when she sees Jeremy, she sees a lifetime. But folks, that's what comes out of relational church building, is you're a part of people's lives all their lives. And I hope this is not an embarrassment, Brandon, but I just want you to know I'm so glad to see you here. Because God needs people with a warrior's heart in his kingdom. And to see you here is just a thrill to me. Uh, a lot of times because of our history we think that we've become someone that God doesn't want anything to do with but no you just become someone that God can really use and it'll be an amazing thing as you discover that I just want to say that publicly and like I say I hope it's not an embarrassment but I just want you to know we're glad you're here really glad you're here Amen. this morning I'm going to continue talking about the work of the Apostle this as I mentioned last Sunday this has been hard for me because I realize that I'm talking about my own calling when I talk about this. And the things that need to be said to build this thought process in you need to be said, whether it's by me or whether it's by someone else. I, I just had a, a dawning awareness this week. Uh, most of you, not, maybe not most of you, but a lot of you know Ralph Marquez. He, he is like a son to me and to Chelsea. And he does call us mom and dad. He's now 34, is that correct? 
somewhere in that, in that area. I've always believed, because of observing in the kingdom of God, that the apostolic man is built. He does, he's not born. It doesn't happen just because he gets saved and responds to the call of God. And let me say that responding to the call of God should not be a fearsome thing because the first response you're going to have to the call of God is he's going to say, here, come here, come here, come to me. And let's, let, let's work together. Let's, let's let me help you. That's, a, that's the call of God in its beginning. Anything else you might do will come out of that relationship. And by the time he identifies it to you, you'll be more than happy to do it. Wow, seems different, don't it? But I was thinking, Chelsea, that I was talking to Rafa about his schedule over the next couple of weeks, and I realized God has built an apostolic man at 34 years old. We've been working with him. I've been working with him since he was 12. I don't remember how old he was when Chelsea first met him. But God has built an apostolic man. He's doing an apostolic work, and my goodness, in my mind, he's still just a kid, but in God's mind, he's mature and ready and moving. And some mighty things are happening as he pulls it together. So the grace of God. We're going to have Rafa here uh, for a while, uh, starting at the first part of November. Rafa's going to be with us. It's been very important because of the work he does and the pressure that's on it. I don't know how many of you remain aware, but the uh, the streets in the cities of Mexico are mean streets, and, and Rafa works those streets. And just a few months ago, a couple of months ago, he, the leader of the adult part of the work that he's doing there in Juarez was shot in the streets of Juarez, and then two more pastors right after that were shot. Rafa and his wife's house was marked as a house where they were going to come and destroy the people that lived there. They haven't been able to get through to do that. <laughs> But the thing is, is that's a pressure. And so every now and then we like to pull Rafa out, get him completely away from it. Can't get his wife here because of the job she has. She has a very uh, high responsibility in her job, and she just can't get loose. But he brings people in that take care and make sure she's all right while he gets out and just gets to breathe for a while. So he's going to come here and breathe for a while at the first part of November. Uh, I'm sure you'll hear from him. I'm not sure he'll preach. He's resistant to that. He, he uh, has two reasons. He's not that confident in his English, although he does very well. And the other reason, he says, when he gets opportunity to hear the people we have preaching, he wants to hear them. So we'll just see what he does. He's a man. He'll figure it out. We'll give him opportunity. We'll see what he does. But God has developed a tremendous man of God there. And so when he's here... Take him places, get him, get to know him. Uh, he's a very, very relational guy. You invite him someplace, and he won't sit there quiet. He he will be the life of the party. So uh, just know that he's he'll be available to you some. Chelsea and I, Leslie, are going to dominate most of his time, but he will be, he will be available some. First Corinthians chapter three, verse ten. According to the grace of God which is given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation. Now, don't check out on me. Many have misunderstood Paul's emphasis in this verse because if you're building your own kingdom, if you're building something for yourself, 
when you read that verse, the focus will be on builder. And I've known at least several men who have claimed that title because they wanted to be the guy. Uh, they wanted to be known as a wise master builder. And as they, as they moved on with that, it became very apparent that they weren't wise, nor were they a master, nor were they a builder. They had just grabbed hold of something and tried to run with it. But the emphasis in this verse is not on that. If you will study New, New Covenant writing, the New Testament, if you will study that, you will find out that always, let me say it again, always in the New Covenant, the emphasis is on grace. And that's what the emphasis here, according to the grace of God which was given to me, because of that grace, we build wisely. Because of that grace, we build. Because of that grace, nothing within ourselves but because of that grace, we're able to do something. Now, what is grace? Is it unmerited favor? Yes, it certainly is. But it's much more than that. It's Father entrusting his own ability, his own empowerment to men and women. It's that ability to reach a place where you allow the Holy Spirit to overshadow something and you become willing to... To live in his overshadowing, to live in his presence, the intensity of his presence, waiting for him to speak and being willing to move when he speaks. No matter how foolish it might look, no matter how unreasonable it might seem, you wait and the, the presence is there and people expect you to do this and expect you to do that because of the intensity of the presence, but you realize it is that presence of the brooding hen is that presence that is working and moving and changing things and you're not allowed to move in or you're allowed but you won't be effective moving in it until his word goes forth and when his word goes forth you move with it no matter how crazy it might seem that's the grace of God that's given to those that, that have the responsibility of building so builder gives way to grace and there will be some point in that when you begin to realize that's all we really have to offer. Is that we have a history of hearing God and a history of moving with God and seeing things start to work. I reminded the group that we were with this Friday and Saturday, all day Friday and Saturday morning, that in the end, all we have to offer people is the ability to hear God and the craziness to move with it. That's it. I, I can't, if, th this is not going to happen, okay? But if I were to decide I was going to Kansas City and establish a church, I couldn't do it. Why? Because God hasn't spoken. It wouldn't work. Not only that, but if I did, I couldn't go with a blueprint thinking I know how to do it. I say it from time to time. You'll hear leaders talk about model. In, real, in reality, there is no model here. It tells us different ways that the Spirit of God worked with different people to establish different works. And if you really try to pin it, pin it down to a model so that you can put it on paper, there is no model here. It's moving with God. It's hearing God. It's, it's understanding that He speaks with men and realizing that He is the supreme commander. So um, really all we have is, to, is some efficiency in hearing Him and following Him. 
And to do that sometimes, and you, those of you that study your Bible regularly won't see that I'm mentioning some scriptures, but in doing that, very often we're faced with the speculation of the religious world that we have to tear down and destroy. Because they have made some moves based on perceived truth, and as it turns out, it wasn't truth at all. So they speculated and they built something, but it's not selling. Sometimes we get the unpopular role of standing against that and saying, no, it looks good, it feels good, it smells good, but it won't work. If you build that, it'll be fleshly. And you have to pull it back in to line because it's a tendency always of humanity out from under the power of God to build in their own power. And yes, as human beings, we have a lot of spiritual and mental power. But it won't build anything eternal unless we submit it to him and do it his way and know that our work is to establish his kingdom, his representation on the earth. I know that this kind of stuff brings a whole lot of intense thinking, and that's why I'm giving it moments. But even though many, I would, I would say much of the nominal, I just want to say, that, say it that way, much of the non- nominal religious work that's in the world was established with good intentions. But it was good human intentions. They saw some truth that would be true in the realm of the natural and failed to lift their eyes and look beyond and see that there's a greater truth that overpowers natural truth, and it is the truth of the kingdom of God. And the only way that can be established and and become known uh, throughout the world as truth is to live it out. It can't effectively be taught. It can't effectively be proven except by life. So much of the time, apostolic people find themselves restructuring the dirt work of religion and laying in the foundation of the kingdom of God. Now, without giving you a location, I'll give you an example. Damon and I were complicit in this work and and some other people. Uh, Leslie will recognize it, no doubt. But we went in under the auspices of a denomination and we began to build relational works. The success of those works became seen and we started to get invitations, not through the hierarchy, but through those people who were responsible for local works, we began to get invitations to come and to teach it. I just thought that naturally had to be God. So I began to respond to it. And after a little while, God spoke to me and he said, you're doing nothing but causing trouble. Boy, that got my attention. And then he said, stop it until you can come into those places and build from the ground up without the hierarchy over it. And so we backed away, the hierarchy took it over again, and killed it. Now, some of those places are reaching back and saying, we want what we had. These people are no longer in charge, we want what we had. We want to establish relational family building again. 
So that, that's kind of the process and how it takes place. You're, you're restructuring the dirt work of religion and laying the foundation of the kingdom of God. Now, many people, uh, Paul referred to them in his writing as, he said something to us. He said, I don't like those super apostles, those guys that come in and they, they're going to do all this, they're going to do all that. I'm not like that. And he goes on to lay out what it's like. But finding that you lay in a foundation of the kingdom of God, several things. First of all, it's often hard work. Sometimes it's hurtful work. I was smiling the other day. I was reading some of the, the memoirs of a, of a guy that was known for, uh, uh, how do you put it, pioneering churches, pioneer work. He said, you can always tell who's the pioneer by the arrow sticking out of their backs. <laughs> and I thought, hmm, yeah. But many of these have, have, have misunderstood, and they, they think that when, when Paul wrote that it's first apostles, they understood that, and they, they thought that it made them something special because they had their all in their life, so they set out to build their own kingdom. And I'm telling you, any time that you misunderstand and you think anything God is asking you to do sets you above the rest, you're badly mistaken, and you're going for a fall. He, all Paul was doing was laying out order. We'll talk about that more in a moment. John chapter 3 verse 29 has been misunderstood a lot in modern day. It's quoted a lot, but in action, in activity, it's been twisted. But it says, he must increase, but I must decrease. The way we've worked with that, we've, we, have, we have somehow gotten it twisted to think that I must increase, so that he can increase. No. 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 I must, me as a man, must decrease. My ideas must be submitted to him. My thought processes must be submitted to him. Even my needs must be ignored while I'm allowing him to increase. Him to increase and me to decrease so that in the end what you see is him. Now, all often it, that this is done because men never understand the true canceling of the debt. And they, they, they come into the kingdom and they come into the call with shame still on them. And they're so ashamed of what was back there that, that they think that somehow I must become something other than I was. Wait just a minute. When you were born again, you became something other than you were. All of that is canceled. It doesn't exist anymore in the thought of God. So I don't have to increase. He must increase. The way I relate to Him must increase. The way I know Him must increase. So I want to... Let me take a, a break here and just correct some thinking from last week's message. This, you know, things always come across to me. I, I, I find things out. Um, I think it's about a year and a half ago now that I was preaching about something and about, about Chelsea and I going into this thing down in Fort Smith. And, and somebody left here and went down to Caleb's shop. Caleb didn't do the story. The story came through the town. Went down to Caleb's shop and started talking about Glenn's leaving. Pastor's leaving. He's, he's going to go start something down in Fort Smith. All I was doing was going to a meeting. 
And it was a meeting I had long-term relationships, and they were saying, please come and help us to loosen this house. What we tasted years ago, and it was a one-time deal, as far as I know. You know, as the doors open, I could go back. I don't feel any unction to go back after prayer. I really felt like I was supposed to go then. Folks, I'm out of last week's meeting. There's some people started saying, he's leaving. Well, yeah, I'm going to North Dakota. I'll be back. <laughs> don't rejoice while I'm gone. I ain't going anywhere. And I, I just want to reason that out. If we're sick here, Chuck and I are going to be here. Uh, if God is going to do something like that, I don't know about it. And I promise you, not even that I know about it. <laughs> but, but let's just reason this through. Chelsea and I, I mean, she's a lot younger than me, but we're not young anymore. And the longer we stay here, the less likely it is that you're going to get rid of us that easy. <laughs> Colby will preach my funeral. <laughs> the truth in that is, Colby might preach one day. Might. Huh? Now you've been scared for years. <laughs> I knew I could say it to Colby because I know he's, had, he's been agitated that way for a while. But you're doing all right, Colby. You're right where God knew you would be here in 2018, and he's good with that. But the thing is, don't read more into it than we're saying. Will I always come and go? Yes. That's, that's the nature of me and the call. But think of this. You get the privilege of supporting that in prayer, and it makes the touch of this church go literally around the world. Think of that. Think of the privilege it is to be a support system for many that will go. There's many that will go somewhere out of this house. I like the idea of a group of churches joining together and moving players around the board. Not that you'll go and stay, but that some of you will go for a weekend for nothing more than just to touch a group of people and to talk to them about what it is to live in relational church. And you'll be right back to your job on Monday morning. What a privilege it is to be a church that at least at some level understands relationships and gets the satisfaction from knowing the best know how. We're giving God a reason to bless us. Let's think a moment. Oh, he just blesses us, does he? Or does he ask that we give him reason to release his blessing? I'll leave that with you, theologians. Now, as I agreed to step in when Damon was leaving... Damon and I discussed at length what we wanted to model. And it's something that I've been talking to leaders about for a long time, but isn't it some time that we begin to model? Now, I understand. I'm going to say model. I'm talking about that we just do something that other people can look at and say, not that we go build what you built. But shouldn't we model what it looks like for older people to continue to be part of the people they love and have given their lives to forever? You know what the history of denominationalism is? That a guy like me would now, at my age right now, would retire. I would move to Florida. I would move to Arizona. I would move to California. And the district would insist that Because if I stayed here, I would have nothing but trouble. Isn't it time the kingdom of God looked better than that? Mm-hmm. I'd probably be sitting back there listening to these and I am being up here. Because through the, through the course of my development, I learned what it is to submit leadership. I would even to say you're never going to be qualified to truly lead until you learn what it is to submit. Hmm. It's one reason God loves military guys. 
we learn anything as we learn to <laughs> Yes, sir. No, sir. <laughs> so we, we discuss this still a lot because we want to show church world that older leaders stay among the family and they can be embraced at the end of days rather than outcast. And you know what has happened? Is there's places, I know little cities in Florida and little cities in Arizona where the retired pastors there are a problem. I mean, they're a real problem. Because think what it would be if you were a 30 or 40 year old pastor and you look back there and you've got three pastoral couples that each one of them has 30 plus years experience of pastoring. And they have learned that they need to submit now. After church, they're lined up telling you how it's done. Back when I was a something old absolute guy I was invited in those places because it was in, in the group I was in it was a fundraising thing that in those churches you raise funds for the mission and so I was invited in there to talk about mission and what we're doing and my goodness always after service there was a line of retired preachers that wanted to talk to me about the proper way to raise money and my response was if the money comes okay but that's not why I'm here I'm here to give you a word from God, and it might or might not really fund into what I'm doing. I'm here, I'm here to do something different, and that's why I could be introduced to this. I've got a different anointing. <laughs> I want it up there. Now, so I hope that cleared it up. Those of you that were thinking we're leaving, we're not leaving. Don't rejoice yet. <laughs> but I want to share with you something that I taught in leader classes, both national and international, and that's a brief talking about the anointing. I like to give an in-depth treatment would only take a few weeks of uh, preaching time, so I'm not going to do that. But when we talk about the anointing, we're talking about that sense of the empowerment of God that you can feel it on you, you can feel it coming through you, you can, you can feel all of this stuff, but it's not really about a feeling. Now here's what I want to say to you. The day you gave your heart to Jesus, you received an anointing. That anointing never grows, never changes, because the Spirit of God himself took up residence. He came with all his equipment. He can come piecemeal. He can. What changes is you. Your ability to respond to it, your ability to have confidence in it, the maturity that comes where you're willing to you risk it all. You heard that before. And no, maybe it might not have asked this crazy thing that it's asking now, but you've heard it before and you're willing. You're going to respond to that thing. And that makes it seem like that I have a stronger anointing than I did when I was first saved. No, I've just got a stronger reaction to that anointing, a stronger response to that anointing. And that's what the difference is. You'll hear some people that'll, that'll talk about the same scripture. One, one will talk about it and it'll bore you to death. The other one will talk about that scripture and it's like something grabs you and jerks you. What is it? It's their response to the presence of God. It's not a stronger anointing. I really don't like when people come up, and I have this happen, young leaders come up and say, I want your anointing, you pray for me. I say, no, you don't want my anointing. No, 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 no. Because to be able to express the anointing like I express it, you have to go through what I went through. You don't want to do that. You want your anointing. You want that, that that came on you when you were saved, that that began to express itself through you when you were saved. You want that, and you want life to teach you. Life with God to teach you how to more actively. So don't look at anybody with, a, with an extra ability, it seems. Don't look at them and think, I want their anointing. First of all, it'll happen. And second of all, as you develop, it'll be stronger than you would ever imagine. And things happen you would imagine because of that anointing. Well, you'll die with the very same presence of God living in you that lived in you when you were born again. 
uh, your infrastructure and thinking to be torn down and new structure built in to respond to the anointing. And that's a lifelong process. I'm telling you, that's lifelong. Now, Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1 through 7, as I look at my wife, I'm reminded of a little boy that asked his mother one time, Mom, what does it mean when I look at his watch all the time? She says, nothing, son, absolutely nothing. <laughs> <laughs> Proverbs 4, verse 1, Hear, sons, the instruction of a father. If it is that you make them right, sound teaching, do not ban my instruction. When I was a son to my father, tender and the only son in the sight of my mother, then he taught me and said to me, Let your heart hold fast to my word, my commandments, and live. Wisdom, acquire understanding. Do not forget or turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her, and she will guard you. Love her, and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. And all you acquiring get understanding. And I, I would say to you just in beginning on that, if you don't pursue anything else, pursue the understanding of anything. Pursue the understanding of anointing. Hopefully God will lead somewhere down the road where we'll do some, some teaching back-to-back -back on, on the anointing and, and working with it. But some people think that if you just learn when He's there and respond out of that, that's all that's there. But it's like anything else in the kingdom of God and actually life. You learn by practice. You, you learn it better by responding and by working with Him, by using it. You, you know, if you have the guts to do the study, you start out allowing Jesus to be a man because that's the way he was sent. You must allow him to be a man. And if you'll start out with him in your thinking as a man and watch the chronology of his ministry, you find out that Jesus grew in the anointing, in the nurture and the admonition of God. He grew in it. He started out pretty simple. And he kept giving it a test drive and giving it a test drive. As he began to understand what he was, then he began to give it to others and say, I'm going to give you this authority not and notice he didn't say I give you the anointing he said I and he said, anointed them but he didn't say I give you he said I give you the power and the authority and they came back all excited oh even the demons are subject to us does that sound like modern America he said that's nothing I seen it when Satan like lightning I seen him right up against the fire and, all, and down he went I said, he said that's nothing Rejoice because your name is written in heaven. Now, that's not just because you're saved. That means rejoice because your character is already established in the heavenly. And God's going to get you there. Rejoice because you're going to work with this anointing. And you're going to work with it and work with it and work with it. And if you work with it, no way you'll miss your mark. Because God himself is in charge of it. <laughs> I am getting off on the anointing again. In all you're getting, all you're acquiring, understanding. Now... You're never going to understand the anointing if your gospel is a me and my needs gospel. When you begin to understand that these epistles were written to churches and to regions, not to individuals, you're getting a good start then. This is not made for my wolf needs will be met. Most of the needs that we pray to God about, if we would just wait 30 days, they wouldn't even exist anyway. Think about that moment. If you learn the real work of the anointing, it is to expand the kingdom of God throughout the earth. And when you think of it on that level, it's bigger than your personal needs. It's bigger than your household. It's bigger than this earth. This thing is to expand throughout the earth and will bring about a change in the earth like has never been seen before. My goodness, that becomes something large that you're working with. Now, getting understanding of the anointing is often acquired in a very difficult school. Because understanding of what God is doing 
and what he's called you to be often happen, happens in the midst of shattered expectations. I could give you a whole book worth of times when I stood right in the middle of shattered expectations and realized that I'd put my expectations in supposition and assumption and not in God. But that in the midst of shattering, there's God. The, the psalmist said, even though I dwell in hell, there you are. There you are. I can't escape. Sometimes you, feel like, sometimes you feel like you want to escape. and Some that are exceptionally religious will think, oh no, I don't ever want to escape. I haven't been in it yet. Because there's sometimes you think, if I can just get away, if I can just remove myself from this, he's got me in stuff I don't want to be in. He's got me waiting through stuff I can't wipe off. He's got me there. And if I could just get away from it. But in the midst of that mess, you begin to understand what you're going to do. That the power of presence God is there to do it. And he begins to bring you forth into ways of righteousness. Not so that your reputation can be established. But his name's sake. <laughs> because he already has that established name. And he's bringing you into line with that. But this thing can be understood if you will just settle down and allow the process of life to help you understand. <coughs> In just a moment, I'll give you a brief understanding from my standpoint of, of the anointing. And this will be in measure. But first of all, I want to talk to you about these, these five anointings that is in king leadership. Um, I refer to it that way because of my preference. The Bible talks a lot more about giftings and anointings than it does about offices. It's the same. Uh, I'll talk about fivefold. We'll talk about that. In a when when you think of of the apostle, the prophet, the master teacher, <coughs> those are manifestations of God's anointing. At some, <coughs> that's what they are, and that's why I prefer to talk to them this way. And there's a good reason for all of them. But it's helpful if we give you kind of a simple understanding and a simple function. So. First thing I want to help you to understand them, and that's where I want you to understand it more than else. No matter what calling you say, when you see Jeremy Pingle up here next Sunday, Jeremy's called to be a prophet of God. Yes, he's pastoring right now, but he's called to be a prophet of God, and he's inevitably a prophetic man will build a prophetic people. Inevitably. But when you see him up here, I, I don't know where he will go. I'm not trying to tell him what to do. I respect him more than that. But I, where he goes. If he goes into where he is in this authority of this, it'll set your teeth on edge. You, you find doodads running over you because he's going to start to see things that obviously God and say things that uh, they, they just don't, they don't make you feel so good. I know I'm going with him tomorrow. And one of the things I want to understand is, Jeremy, you do what God calls you to do. I want you to be free because I want the people to see what prophetic ministry looks like from a prophet. That's why Milton's coming. I want you to see him in the middle of the But... This, these are very simple, but every, no matter what you see in when they are in their office, if that's what we must call it. I just don't know the term or reason. But what you see there, they're just people. They're just people. Just people. Maybe I should say wonderfully and fearfully people. Wonderfully and fearfully made people. So let's in your mind think of five people in a car. Well, this would be a car to be in, I'm telling you. But you got an apostle. I'm borrowing this illustration from Benny Silken, and um, I just love illustrations, so I'm going to borrow and give him credit. But I think of that carload, and I think of one of the guys on the reservation who we're going to see this time. 